In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, and it is a good morning because on this day, the 50th day of Easter, the final day of the great 50 days, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, we are celebrating the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church. Uh, We are celebrating, as it is often called, the birthday of the church because it it is on Pentecost that God, the Holy Spirit, came and indwelt his people. He came and indwelt his temple. He came and indwelt his new creation, which is the mystical body of Christ, the church. And today, we could call this also, I think, the Feast of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we celebrate and we glory in the person and work of the Holy Spirit whom have, who's been given to us. And today in this sermon... I want to meditate upon the Lord and giver of life and what sort of life it is that is available to us on account of the gift of the Holy Spirit. But first I want to take a step back and I want to delve into the Feast of Pentecost itself, its background, its meaning, because it's so rich and understanding its depth Uh, should move us to adoration of Almighty God. Uh, That the Spirit descended upon the church, that that the Spirit was given on Pentecost, is not arbitrary. On the contrary, the timing of it is providential and revelatory. Uh, It's important to note, and I don't want to make you feel bad Uh, if you didn't know this, but the Feast of Pentecost, it's not being celebrated for the first time in Acts chapter 2, meaning that Luke is not ascribing retroactively the name Pentecost to the events of um, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jewish pilgrims, rather, had come to Jerusalem from all over the world to celebrate an existing festival, Thus, what we see in Acts 2 is not the first celebration of Pentecost. Rather, it is the transformation and fulfillment of an Old Testament feast. Uh, Pentecost, which literally means, the word means 50th, uh, was initially in the Old Testament an agrarian festival. Uh, It was ordained in the law of Moses, and 50 days after the Passover... Israel would offer the first fruits, the first crop, if you will, of the wheat harvest in thanksgiving for God's provision, but also as a sort of petition of God, they didn't say it like this, but God, we hope there's more where that came from. Thank you for what you've given us thus far, and God, please continue to bless us and provide for us. But over time, Pentecost came to be identified with the giving of the law of Moses. For it was about 50 days after Israel's deliverance from Egypt, uh, when the angel passed over, when they were delivered out of Egypt by the blood of spotless lambs. It's about 50 days later that Israel received the law at Sinai. So it comes to be associated, Pentecost, with the giving of the law. In fact, Uh, And this is not a Christian edition hundreds or thousands of years later. In fact, a group of Jews at at Qumran 
referred to Pentecost, they called it the Feast of the Renewal of the Covenant. Thus, the giving of the law at Sinai, it anticipates, it foreshadows, and is fulfilled by the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost in Acts 2. At Sinai, what happens? God manifests his presence with a storm, with fire and smoke. Moses descends Mount Sinai with the law written on stone tablets. At Pentecost in Acts 2, God comes in a storm, a tempest, a mighty wind. Cloven tongues of fire appear above the heads of the disciple. The But instead of a prophet descending with the law from without, God himself descends. The Holy Spirit descends and writes the law, the law of Christ upon the hearts of his people. The covenant is renewed. The new covenant is ratified. And this is what was spoken of by the prophet Jeremiah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So Pentecost is the new and better Sinai. But it's it's also uh, what I call the anti-Babel. For at Pentecost, we see this uh, reversal of the events that happened at the Tower of Babel. In other words, uh, Babel is a sort of distorted, parodic prequel to Pentecost. What happens at the Tower of Babel? Well, you know, the people of the earth, they gather together in arrogance and a spirit of self-aggrandizement to build a temple tower, to basically build a gateway to heaven. God then descends in judgment. Uh, According to some traditions, I found this interesting, with a strong wind. And he confuses the people by giving them different languages and scattering them all over the earth. At Pentecost, we see the, the inverse. The disciples gathered in the upper room and devout Jews, not scattered, but but coming together from every nation under heaven, Scripture says, gathered in Jerusalem. And what does God do? He he descends in salvation with a mighty rushing, rushing wind. The people are bewildered. He confuses them, but they're not confused. They're not bewildered because they can't understand each other. They're bewildered because they can. The people are cut to, to the heart by the preaching of the gospel. They're incorporated into Christ and the church through baptism. And they're commissioned to take the life of heaven and the reign of God to the ends of the earth. Jesus says at his ascension in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in, I think just briefly, hastily, looking at the meaning of the Feast of Pentecost, there's much to be gleaned about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, about the Lord and giver of life, as we call him in the Nicene Creed. And we do need to remember, I think especially today, but every day, that the Holy Spirit 
the Lord and giver of life is indeed the Lord. That the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity, one God. That it is God himself who indwells the body of Christ in each of her members. The same Spirit that brooded over the face of the waters in Genesis 1 at creation, that same Spirit broods over the waters of baptism. The same Spirit which descended upon Jesus at his baptism descended upon us at our baptisms. The same Spirit which raised Christ from the dead gives life to our mortal bodies. The spirit that we read of in Scripture is the spirit that lives within each of us who know Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He is the giver of life. So that means that he is the animating principle of the church, the soul of the church. And the life which he imparts to us is the life of Christ. To the baptized, um, the Holy Spirit has taken the achievement of Jesus at Calvary, his life and his death and his resurrection, and he has applied that to the church, to us, to our hearts. The Holy Spirit has breathed new life in us, has made us alive in Christ. He has also given us gifts. He, he has given us the strength, the grace so that we can walk as Jesus walked, so that we can be led by the Spirit as Jesus was led by the Spirit in his earthly sojourn. We have been given this sevenfold gift of the Spirit of which the prophet Isaiah speaks. He's given to us as a gift. Holy fear of God and godliness and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and counsel and ghostly strength. The strength of the Spirit. We have been given, e each of us, a ministry, a place to serve in the body of Christ. We've been, and we've been given the gifts to fulfill that ministry. We've been clothed with power from on high, equipped to bear and bring the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven, to preach the gospel to all nations in word and deed. All of that and more is ours from the Father in Christ and by the Spirit. Where is it? We have it, but where is it? I think oftentimes it's, we know it's there, but it's latent, or maybe it's even dormant. But I want us to recognize that, that all of this is ours in Christ. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. So it's not a matter of, well, the good Christians just have something that I don't have. You know, when I was a kid, my athletic aspirations uh, far exceeded uh, my aptitude, uh, at least in the sports uh, that mattered in the culture in which I grew up, namely football and basketball. There were other sports, but we didn't know that they existed, and sometimes baseball. I went to a small Christian school, but we had, especially for the size school I was at, we had an incredible athletic program. 
Uh, I played with guys that went to Division I schools on full scholarships. And, and I came to realize I was, I had, uh, I, even as a middle schooler and early high schooler, I, I wasn't uh, naive. I didn't have delusions of grandeur. But I came to realize rather quickly that the difference between me and the superstars uh, was qualitative, not quantitative. Uh, I wasn't 6'7". I was 5'7". I've been this exact height since the ninth grade. Never grew. I wasn't naturally uh, muscular. You know, the game didn't come to me intuitively like it does to some great players. And I knew that no matter how hard I worked, I wasn't going to be that. And that's okay. I'm not being self-deprecating. We need to be the best version of ourselves, the one that God made us to be. But they just had something I didn't. Now, there are these other guys at my high school, and they had all the talent in the world. Maybe almost seven foot, strong but they didn't do anything with it. Their potential remained potential. And I remember looking at them and saying, I wish I could just put my heart, my consciousness uh, in their bodies. I'd be able to do so much with it. In Christ, by the Spirit, we have so much potential. There is no caste system in the kingdom of God. So the saints are not the division one or professional superstars. That They just have a, a gift that I don't have or that you don't have. The saints are, are different, not in kind, but only in degree. The same spirit that transformed them lives in us. But again, oftentimes the abundant life in Christ remains for us a possibility. For example, that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they're there. It's there, the fruit. It's one fruit, singular, with many different flavors. It, it's there, but it remains a seedling. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power. The Holy Spirit lives within us. But the question is, are, are we walking in the Spirit? Are we being led by the Spirit? Or are, are we grieving the Holy Spirit? Are we resisting the Holy Spirit? Are we, were, are we as it were, uh, muting the Spirit because our attention is on the things of this world? Because we are beset by sin and wickedness. Again, we have everything we need for life, of, life and godliness. And the call of every Christian, there is no call on any person for whom Christ died, any baptized person, there is no call to mediocrity to kind of love God to kind of know him, to kind of follow him. And I, and I think that we can, myself included, b believe the lie that, that the gift of the Holy Spirit, that walking in the Spirit, that knowing the living God 
intimately is, is beyond the realm of possibility for us. So how do we access, how do we access this? We have everything we need for life and godliness, but how do we tap into it? How do we walk in the spirit whom, have, whom has been given to us? Now, real quick, this is not an exhaustive spiritual manual, but the following are, I think, essential ingredients to walking in the spirit. Repentance and surrender and adoration and invocation. First, repentance and surrender. Sin inhibits the transformative work of the Holy Spirit. But when we sin, we have recourse. We need to come to the Lord and say, as David did, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And with that, because when we talk about repentance, maybe you've heard of it talked about as a 180. If you're walking one way, you should not walk, and you, you turn. So you're turning from sin. It's not just negative, it's positive. You're turning to face the Lord. And there's a surrender that goes with this. A, a surrender to the, the will and the ways of God, a fresh saint, saint to the Spirit. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's pretty akin to just, Lord, have mercy. Lord, help me. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The Spirit is our comforter. He's our advocate. He's our helper. Did you notice that in the epistle? Paul's like, y'all, we don't know how to pray. So the Spirit prays for us. He intercedes for us according to the will of God. So repentance and surrender are key. But then there is, ad there is um, adoration and invocation. So adoration, yes, we, of course. And this is one of the beautiful things about the liturgy is that we, we, it really, it's Trinitarian. We really do worship the triune God. So we adore the triune God, but we're not tri-theist. But I will say this, at least in my experience, the Holy Spirit is often the most ignored and or misunderstood person of the Holy Trinity. Like, <laughs> we'll say the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, but I've said I believe in him, and it's just going to stop there. And some of us, depending on our, our background, we might be scared of the Spirit. You know, we turn on TBN at 2 in the morning, and, and we, when we think of Pentecost, we just think of Pentecostalism. And we allow, we allow, I think, the abuses whether real or perceived, and sometimes it's just our perception of, of different traditions, we allow those to, to keep us at arm's length from the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, so adoration, especially today on the Feast of Pentecost, we should adore God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, marveling at who He is and what He's done for us. And finally, we should invoke his presence and his work. 
oftentimes we have not because we ask not. We should call upon him. We should beg for his aid to help us become and practice what we are by grace in Christ. So let us say today, brothers and sisters, on this, on this glorious feast, come, Holy Spirit, come. Come with your purifying fire and burn away every bit of dross and impurity of sin. Burn away anything in us that's not of you. Come, Holy Spirit, and with your light, illumine our minds and our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, and awake in us the gifts which you have given us. Come, Holy Spirit, and move in our midst. Move in the midst of this church. Move in the midst of all souls in such a way that we are transformed utterly into the likeness of Christ. And that if we are known for anything, it's the presence of God in the midst of his people. And come, Holy Spirit, empower us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in word and in deed, in every interaction, to spread the gospel. So let us pray today with all that we are. Come, Holy Spirit, come.